0: The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters news. Welcome to The Views Room, a weekly podcast brought to you by Reuters Breaking Views. I'm Rob Cox, the editor of Breaking Views, coming to you from Zurich, Switzerland. Well, as Breaking Views predicted, SPAC mania has crossed the Atlantic. Well-connected financiers are raising money in special-purpose acquisition vehicles, just like their American cousins have been doing in droves for the past 18 months. Jean-Pierre Moustier, the former CEO of Community Credit, announced his plan this week alongside Bernard Arnault's investment company and TKO Capital in Paris to buy something in the financial services business. And he won't be alone. Lots of former bankers, well-known investors, and industrialists across the continent have been watching with envy as Wall Street has feasted upon the fee bonanza attached to the SPAC craze. So this week, I chatted with Peter Thal Larsen, our London-based EMEA editor, our deals chieftain, Lauren Laughlin, and Rob Searin in New York, who's been covering many of the actual deals these SPACs have been deploying their capital for, to get a feel for how things will develop on this side of the pond. Oh, we also wrote a while back about opening our own SPAC We haven't yet gotten there, but we are trying to think about a name. If you've got one, send me an email. Give a listen. So SPAC mania has crossed the Atlantic as Breaking Views predicted it would do in 2021. Just this week, we saw uh, the announcement that Jean-Pierre Moustier, who was uh, one of the top bankers, used to run Unicredit, is launching one. Peter, you've written about this, and we know there's a few others coming out of the woodwork. Uh, What's the uh, scenario well, I mean, it's it's it's
1: interesting because we've been watching this kind of SPAC mania unfold on the other side of the Atlantic. I think half of all the mon- new money raised in IPOs in the U.S. last year went to SPACs, um, and it's been been nothing really happening on this side. Um, there's been a few cases where people have uh, on on the European side of things have have launched SPACs in the U.S. So Tijan TM. Uh, who used to run Credit Suisse is is in the process of launching one, listing it, I think, in 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 New York, um, but but it's started happening here now. And so, as you said, uh, Jean-Pierre Mistier uh, announced. That he was launching one um, this week. Uh, there's a few others coming. Martin Blessing, uh, the former CEO of Commerce Bank, uh, has apparently got one in the works. Uh, you're detecting a bit of a theme here of bankers who uh, uh, have nothing better to do. Um, but um, so, yeah, I think people are sort of watching with interest, but we're sort of very much in the early stages of this craze uh, of people sort of executives with a name or investors with a name, attaching themselves to something, getting ready to launch it to raise some money, Um, but obviously the whole process of them actually raising money and then trying to find a deal that they can do that makes sense for those new investors, uh, that is yet to come.
0: Right. So here we're, we're in the early stages. And as you said, the U.S., it was about raising capital the past, whatever, 18 months or so. Um, we're starting to see the fruition of that with the deals getting done. Let me just go back, though, to Europe. So you look at um, the one we decided, Jean-Pierre Moustier. You have with him Bernard Arnault's investment company, Bernard Arnault, the richest man in Europe, the LVMH boss, and... T. K. O. Capital, which is a, a pretty well-known thirty-five billion-dollar asset manager, so it's the, is that the formula that we expect sort of boldface financial name in this case, a former banker, big kind of like connected person plus capital.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably that's probably quite a compelling combination. I mean, when you think about it, these really are. I mean, they're effectively marketing vehicles, right? I mean, you're going to people and saying. Give me some money so that I can invest in something that I can't tell you what it is yet. And I haven't even decided what it is yet. Um, and really, all you're going to do is you're just going to buy some stock in a company that I'm going to then sit on. And I you give me a couple of years to find something to do with it. And by the way, I'm going to get some good terms out of that deal if that deal happens. So you kind of you, you really need a name to, uh, uh, to, 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 to make that happen. And I think as we've seen in the U.S., it's sort of a combination of people who have an investment track record, a deal making track record. Um, or people who have a sort of a profile because they're executives and because they maybe have a following uh, amongst investors who might be interested in investing something that they're doing. So I'm assuming that with Jean-Pierre Mistier, you know, he's he's got a fairly big following. There were a bunch of people who who who, who backed him when he was running UniCredit. Um, before that, he was Sockgen. Um, so he's he's got a he's got a bit of a track record. He's got a bit of a name. He can knock on a bunch of doors and raise some money. I suspect that's the main appeal.
0: And so we'll start to see a flood of these as as um, as everyone expected and as we predicted but uh, Lauren I want to talk to you because you've you've covered this from the start um, the, the fundraising and now we're at the sort of harvesting if you will a lot of these deals of you know with bold faced financial names whether it's like the Gary Cohen the former president of Goldman Sachs or whatever these guys are all now they're actually putting the money to, to work and what wh- what are you seeing
2: well I mean we've seen some pretty remarkable um, targets from 23andMe to a company called Blade, which is effectively a, a you know, startup company of, a, of what people are calling flying cars or helicopters. Um, and uh, they are really running the gambit to sort of finance established uh, businesses, take, you know, Perella Weinberg, a boutique investment bank public to give uh, money to startup, you know, sort of companies. And, you um, you know the results are yet to be determined. There's all sorts of reasons why this continues to go on, that you know may have may have some sort of more sinister underpinnings.
0: Right. You're always looking for the sinister underpinnings. <laughs> well, I, <things> you learn. <laughs> I mean, sadly, I
2: sadly I pulled up a byline that I wrote on stacks um, more than a decade ago with the title that said blank check companies are best left blank, and I you know tend to think maybe that might be what's going on today. We'll see.
0: Was it the South Sea Company or one of those like uh, <laughs> five, four or five hundred years ago? So it's like okay. money that will be raised for a for an acquisition of uh, yet to be known. But exactly. so, but look at I mean, who makes who makes out in this? I mean, so I mean, who who wins? Or you know, this is Wall Street. This is a Wall Street concoction. Right. You know that that means there's some people just absolutely minting it. Um, Right. Who are they?
2: Where are they? Well, Right now, everybody's minting it. And that's why this continues to go on. So you have the SPAC sponsor, which is the person that Peter's describing, who's the sort of big name manager that's raising the thing. Then you have the SPAC investor. That's the initial guy who buys the blank check stock. And then you have the company that their uh, blank check company is eventually going to buy. And then you have, of course, Wall Street and the investment banker that's making fees on every which way. Um, the initial manager is, gets this thing, what they call a promote, which is effectively free stock in the company after they do a deal. Um, and that can be anywhere between, you know, 5 and 20% of the company after they buy it. And this has really been hundreds of millions of dollars for the managers who buy this back. The initial investor gets warrants attached to the stock that they uh, buy. And it's not a whole lot of money in the end, but still it's something. And with interest rates so low, they have an interest in buying that actual stock. Uh, Of course, the company is effectively getting an easier process to list uh, shares, at least in the US. There's sort of loopholes that they don't have to jump through in the public listing process uh, to get these uh, deals done. And then the investment bank, which makes the fees on the transaction. And then also, also there's usually a uh, pipe or private placement associated with these deals, and they make fees on that end too. Right. So, but in and most this, of these
0: things are they yeah. come out as they're at like ten bucks, right? Even exactly. Though, yeah. Yeah. So, but but and and then they, it's they have two years to deploy the capital. Is that right? That's
2: right. That's right. Yeah. So the price at 10 bucks, let's say they may raise a hundred million bucks and their price at 10 each. And then the manager is going to take that hundred billion hundred million dollars and they're going to go out and they're going to find a company that needs capital. And they're going to give them that hundred million dollars in exchange for some part of the company, some, you know, share of the company. And the company then gets this, you know, kind of holding place, what was a holding place in the public market to then have a public currency. Right. And that's sort of at its most at its most basic level is a legitimate business. It's a legitimate way of funding a business. It's a legitimate way of listing shares. Um, the reason why these could potentially run into trouble is because everybody on that sort of all sides of the transaction are taking a little piece, or in some cases a big piece, and you know there's only so much value to go around. So the end holder of those shares, the person who ultimately five years from now owns a company. Uh, that got you know listed in this way, you know there's not as many safeguards in place for their value.
0: Okay, let's bring in Rob Siren, who's written about a lot of these actual transactions. Just yesterday, uh, on Tuesday, you wrote a piece about Owlet. Baby Care, the maker of Smart Socks, which are baby monitors that help track oxygen levels of newborns, among other things, is going public with a blank check firm called Sandbridge Acquisition. Um, how is this, is this a typical kind of deal that
3: you've seen? Yeah, with- it's typical and it shows you some of the motivations for companies to do this. Um, for And one of, the, one of the advantages of a SPAC, so this company, they sell, like you said, they make baby monitors and basically capitalize on parents' anxieties. Um, what the one advantage for SPACs versus traditional IPOs is, is you can put just some outrageous growth predictions and the SEC won't blink. You know, mm-hmm. you can't do the traditional IPO. For Outlet, for instance, they're saying, okay, we're growing 50% a year. Sure, we're losing money 50% a year, but we're going to k- keep on increasing our growth rate. So in 2025, we're actually going to be growing 80 pr- 83%, even though we're 10 times bigger. You know, and <laughs> normally companies mm-hmm. don't, you know, grow faster as they become 10 times bigger. And, you know, it's also this type, like I said, it's also one of these things where it shows, you know, the company's losing money. They don't even think they're gonna be, have positive EBITDA till 2024. So there's a lot of, you know, sure there's some potential there because, you know, it's a real business. They do sell these things, anxious parents buy these things, but you know, is it worth the 1.5 billion? They think it is probably not.
0: Well, I mean, it's yeah, they all I I haven't seen one that doesn't have the quote unquote total addressable market like somewhere of like giant uh, opportunity here. I mean, one that uh, Lauren mentioned was Blade, which is essentially like Uber with helicopters. Right. And and they they have they said that that uh, the total addressable market is six hundred and fifty billion dollars. So everyone goes well. All we need is a small slice of that, and their valuation assumes revenue will grow 16 times from 25 million this year, um, and uh, it's targeting 875 million by the end of 2026. I mean, you just look at these
3: things and you think it sounds too good to be true. No? Yeah. Yeah. Go I on. mean, I, another good <laughs> one is uh, yeah. Another good one is 23andMe. Uh, that Richard Branson got involved in them. Uh, he's, he's, he's the SPAC company uh, that's, that's buying them. Um, and yeah, everyone's kind of, a lot of consumers are aware of these things because they they see, you know, where do my ancestors come from? The business is actually shrinking. It shrank 50% last year. But they, they say, hey, look, look at this great total addressable market. We have over a, tr- a trillion dollars of total addressable market from producing drugs and selling these tests. You know, is is the company, you know, can it actually bite any of this market or get in the market? Probably not much at all, but you know it's it's useful for selling. Okay, but you, it's kind of interesting. When you look at the the performance,
0: and this goes back to what you were saying, Lauren. You know everybody's happy at the moment, which is always the case in a bull market, or let's call it even what it is, a bubble. So experience investment was the this the the blank check vehicle that was used to buy Blade. I'll give you as an example. It went from you know well everything kind of sits around 10 bucks when it goes out uh or whatever its price it's now at seventeen dollars so investors have done well no
2: yeah i mean the hard part is you know who who are those investors and what is their profile every company has should have, in theory, an investor at the right price. And some of these companies, like Blade, as an example, might attract what would have otherwise been a venture capital investor. And so they're accustomed to taking very high risk, and they you know, only need one of these to pan out. At the end of the day, though, and really this is the question for the SEC, the end investor in these vehicles is presumably a retail investor or you know a mutual fund that has just the average, average person behind it. And are these t- types of companies the one, the ones that are ready for a public market profile, and that is yet to be seen because a lot of these companies are are what we would say are too young or too new to get this type of investor. So today, sure, let's make seventy percent on that, and you know the person behind that stock right now might be someone who's willing to take a bigger risk. Um, the one who will be left owning that stock is not the same profile of the investor that owns it right now. Mm. And all we really need is a few of these to be spectacular failures for them to start to attract the wrong type of attention.
0: Rob Searin, one of the ones you wrote about is called weed maps, which is sort of as you said, Yelp for the cannabis trade. The stock the the acquisition vehicle was called Silver Spike. Um, and it went from 10, it's now 28, 178, 76% up. I mean, couldn't get
3: much higher, as one might say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that that's the thing with all these trends is that, you know, there's there there are some good things there are some bad things. Um, and weed maps is actually one of the cases where it may actually make sense. Um, because you have these, these companies like weed maps, you know, selling information on, you know, where to buy your pot, and all this other sort of information about, you know, about illegal substance in a lot of state and a lot of federally still illegal substance and a lot of banks won't be involved with it. So it's hard for that company to get financing. You know, a SPAC offers a way for this company to go public. You know, is, is the valuation too high? Yeah, it definitely could be. But this is the real this, this. These are the sorts of companies which, you know, may be able to go public and they wouldn't have been able to go public before and perhaps they do deserve to go public.
0: Yeah. And uh, Peter, in Europe, I suppose, I mean, do you have, can you start to, can we start to like map out acquisition targets? I mean, a lot of what we're seeing are sort of almost like consumer products with where you, you know, Owlet is a good example, Blade, Latch, which makes locks, okay, Pearl Weinberg, not so much, Weed Weedmaps, BarkBox, which makes, uh, you know, basically sends you boxes of dog treats, 23andMe, which gives you your genetics, are you thinking that we're going to be writing more stories in Europe about how badly these things turned out or is it going to be a similar situation to the US?
1: Oh, look, I mean, I think a bit like Lauren, I think having been around uh, and, and and sort of watched these things, these kinds of things for a while, um, you know, it, 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 the, the general, the track record is not great. Right. I mean, in the UK. Uh, we had there were there were a couple of famous shell companies in the dot com boom that were created again for the purpose of buying dot com companies, um, which kind of then the sh- the shares went through the roof on the anticipation that these very well connected people were going to buy something great, and then it all collapsed. Um, and then more recently we had Nat Rothschild, uh, who uh, who who had a couple of shell companies which he used to buy. Uh, uh, one of which was to buy an Indonesian coal miner, um, which had terrible corporate governance and went horribly wrong, and and, it, and they all fell out. So, I mean, the track record is not great. I think probably, um, it seems from from the early signs, like the things that we've seen so far, um, and maybe this is just a reflection of the people who are setting them up, it seems like the, the intention is more to sort of buy uh, uh, kind of like um, financial type assets, you know, maybe carve out bits of existing banks, carve out a payments business or an asset management unit or something, try and sort of create some sort of platform to then consolidate in what is still a very, very fragmented financial services business in in, in Europe. That seems to be sort of what the MISTIE vehicle is talking about. Um, but as with all these things, we'll have to wait and see what deals they actually do. And I suspect, you know, as usually the case that um, not everybody will be able to do, uh, a deal and, uh, not everybody that does a deal will do a good
0: one. Of course, there's also the, the, there's a time limit to the, to the money, right? Lauren, I mean, you only have what a certain number, two years to deploy it, which means getting out first and buying up the juicy bits, whether it's the blades or the latches or bark boxes. It's, I sort of, you wonder if like people who raise money now are going to be, you know, sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel.
2: It's true. And others have had that problem. You know, Dan Loeb recently closed a deal or came close to closing a deal, but struggled to to actually do one um, after launching a SPAC a couple of years ago. You know, um, Ackman has a SPAC out there, too, and he's looking for something to buy. Um, and, Bill Ackman raised way, a lot of money too. He did. I think it was two billion dollars. He's looking for, and
0: he for. was, and he was, you know, there were stories about how he'd approached Bloomberg, how he'd approached Airbnb, and and was rebuffed.
2: Right, and here we are. You know, it's, it hasn't been it hasn't been so long, but we're waiting for him to find something. And by the way, they're competing with private equity firms, and you know, uh, just a traditional any traditional investor sort of venture capital firms too, looking for yield. So it's. Um, like Peter says, they may not find something and maybe they're going to find something that's not so great. There's lots of competition for companies at this point.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, look guys, what are we going to call our SPAC?
2: Well, you know, there was one that got listed yesterday that I believe was called just another acquisition company, J-A-A-C. So I think they're coming short on names, Jack, frankly. <laughs> yeah.
1: I I think there's an opportunity I think you need to What you need to really do is if you really want to hit big you need to tap into a couple of trends right so so you like you need to launch a SPAC which is going to have an ESG angle or something, or maybe Bitcoin, maybe we could launch a SPAC which would then with the intention of going buying Bitcoin, Um, and people would, uh, people would pay a a premium for that.
0: (laughs)
2: Bitcoin, Tesla and SpaceX.
0: Yeah, with, with, it's got to have space has been part of it, for sure. We've written about that. All right. Well, I love this. Uh, let's, uh, we'll be back with another episode of The Views Room when we will unveil the name of our new SPAC. Thank you, guys. That's our show for this week. Thanks to Amanda Gomez and our producer, Freddie Joyner in New York. Our final thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get your podcast fixes. Check us out every day at breaknews.com too. Arrivederci.